The Automotive News Europe podcast is brought to you by Capgemini, a global leader in technology and digital transformation. Visit us online at www.capgemini.com and learn how Capgemini can help you get the future you want. Hello and welcome to the Automotive News Europe podcast for December 9th, 2021. I'm your host, Doug Bolduck, Managing Editor at AE. Thanks so much for being with us today. Turning cars into connected smart devices is forcing a dramatic rethink within the automotive industry. Continental's Michael Husevis is one of the people leading this transition. The German supplier's head of architecture and software says the secret sauce to achieving this huge shift is never forgetting just how difficult it is to build a car. He says another key is creating an operating system specifically for automotive, which is something many companies proudly say they will do, but Hulsevis believes few have the manpower and stamina to accomplish. He explains why. Hi, Michael. Thanks so much for joining us today for the Automotive News Europe podcast. Hi, Doug. Thank you very much. I'm super happy to be here with you today. What are the biggest challenges in turning the car into a computer on wheels? Well, there is a couple of them. And in fact, it starts with the fact that you need to think a solution differently than you have done in the past, where in the past you basically have a piece of hardware which was pretty isolated in itself while being complicated to be manufactured as a product. When you add a feature, you could basically, uh, especially if you need electronics, you add an electronic control unit, some sensors, actuators, depending on what you want to do, and then that would be it. That goes up to a certain extent, but reached a level of complexity that is, if you look into a premium car today, basically unbearable in terms of content of ECUs, control units, wiring harnesses, weight also comes, of course, into play, and the communication between these units is very difficult. So. That's the first element to overcome and um, how to overcome it is to really rethink how you basically develop the user expectation and the user experience that results out of, of a vehicle of today or tomorrow, especially um, in a different way. And, and that is one of the biggest challenges. And that comes also then in line with the, the mindset that also at the automakers and even at the tier one sometimes is still pretty much hardware driven. Um, changing that mindset and changing the architecture and then ultimately changing the organization is probably the, the largest challenge we have right now uh, when we kind of get these cars from individual units into connected smart devices. The automotive industry is dominated by mechanical engineers and not so much software engineers. We're starting to see a change. It seemed like people with your experience were kind of shunned to the side and sometimes allowed in the room to have a conversation. Now you are definitely part of the conversation and actually in many cases leading the conversation. How has that change happened and how have you seen that sort of have a positive effect on the overall industry? The, the visibility of solution architecture and also the software folks, so to say, has significantly increased. And it has increased sometimes to an extent that lots of people kind of got engaged into discussions which um, had a good understanding on the software side, but then again didn't understand the uh, automotive world, which is still there. You still have to build an automobile, which has all the safety and security 
uh, requirements uh, that, that have been uh, built up and that are absolutely necessary for a device on wheels. And that is for sure uh, really enlightening in terms of seeing these two worlds coming together, in fact. And looking a bit into my, my personal history also at, uh, at Biden in California, um, I was witnessing basically coming from, from a global tier one, having worked at different customers uh, over the, the last 20 plus years, going into an environment where you have all the smart minds coming from Tesla, Google, Apple, etc., having a very much software function, user experience driven mindset, that definitely is, is a melting pot. And then it has been also a melting pot during the development. But putting this together, I think that's going to be also the secret sauce to create a sustainable advantage also across the industry going forward as the other OEMs basically now are picking up on that. And that's really interesting. You mentioned the hardware and the software coming together. A lot of these startups and a lot of these companies that have no experience building a car seem to get an overwhelming amount of headlines, but the bottom line is that there is still something that needs wheels and brakes and all these other parts. Can you tell me a little bit about you know, marrying those two things and, and how difficult that is? Absolutely. And, and, and indeed, that is being overlooked and, and we should also pay respect to, to actually the established automotive companies whose asset was, is, and will be to build excellent vehicles, which still have, of course, a significant amount of, of mechanical parts that need to be put together, that needs to be orchestrated. There is a change now. I mean, the complexity is, is reducing, which helps also to simplify on the vehicle manufacturing process, especially if you have a, a e-drive, not saying that you have so many less parts. I mean, you still have a lot of parts, even in the e-motor, but you have less of, of mechanical interaction and you can put these building blocks together um, or reasonably. That's why all these new startups, actually or almost all of them, are coming from the from the e-drive side. And um, that for sure helps. But nevertheless, there is, of course, a long way. And, and that has been also the largest struggle to scale up manufacturing of, um, of automotive. I mean, we have all witnessed how the Tesla Model 3 launched and that was um, it, it was a, a production hell, as, as Elon Musk said himself, uh, for good reason, because if you really haven't done this before at this scale and this speed, um, with that level of automation as well, then it's, uh, it's, a, it's a significant challenge. Does it make sense for every automaker to have its own operating system? You touch really a, a good and, and sensitive point, and, and you really have a big spread between those who say we definitely will do it ourselves and we don't want anybody in, or maybe team up with someone who can pro provide us the IP or, or give us the insights we need or the resources, but then we're going to do it ourselves. To the other end where they say, we definitely must not do everything ourselves. If you look at the scale and then talking about the operating system itself is, is already something that needs to be tackled carefully because the operating system, technically speaking, is just the basic level to enable a computer basically to deploy functions and, um, and run applications on. But an automotive operating system is, is really more than that. It connects down to the hardware and needs to be at the same time as hardware agnostic as possible. So we need APIs and interfaces. And it provides a platform level layer that, that allows to drive all these different automotive domains from ADAS over safety, motion, body, powertrain, and then, of course, the, the UI UX element that requires, again, different platform services. And all of that needs to be orchestrated. And then those who claim to do it themselves, they really need to have a lot of manpower and a lot of stamina, actually, also to, to do that. And then if you look at the 
maybe 10 years back into mobile industry and then you see that there was still like 10 plus OS's, so to say, for, for my mobile phones available. You still had all Blackberries, Nokia's, etc. in the world. It all boiled down to two, basically, which is Android and iOS. And, and that is for a reason, because maintaining that and opening that and creating a platform that others can contribute to is a significant effort. And it requires also to open up. And, and if you don't open up, you basically will not succeed. So my prediction is that we will have a few operating systems that enable that connectivity, but it will be led by those probably who are already strong today in that field and um, extended to multiple OEMs and other partners. So it's not going to come without partnership. And it does not make sense unless you have really a significant scale yourself by amount of volumes vehicles you produce per year to really do it all on your own. We'll continue our conversation with Michael Hulsevis after this message. Driving the Future is a podcast about where the automotive industry is going and how not only to keep up with the rapidly changing business, but to shape it. Fueled by such factors as the climate crisis and the digital revolution, the automotive industry is changing. Whether we're talking about electric vehicles or the new customer experiences that digital technologies enable, whether it's transforming from being a manufacturer into an organization that provides mobility services, the map of the industry is being redrawn. Driving the Future has insights to help your organization shape the future of mobility. This season goes into such topics as electric-powered commercial vehicles, how to build strategic partnerships to increase innovation, and new omni-channel sales models. Subscribe now to the series on Capgemini, Spotify, and Apple channels, and let Capgemini help you drive the future you want. Roughly how much can be saved when it comes to time, money, aggravation, all of those things when it comes to collaborating into having just a few operating systems versus many? It's a complex question because, as I said before, the operating system consists of so many various elements within the vehicle, in the development tool chain, as well as uh, in, in the cloud eventually. And, and on that, I can probably give you an example where we have really, uh, by multiple times, accelerated the the process of enabling ourselves doing simulation in the cloud for a specific um, custom project we are running on. So we have teamed up in order to build a architecture framework with Amazon Web Services. Um, earlier this year in April there was a release, and sh shortly after that we started the development. And just a couple of weeks after we already had the basic architecture set, so we could run a proof of concept. And for that one piece, um, enable to to bring it into operation after just a couple of months. So right now we are already in process of collecting data. And, and that notion and that way of moving fast, failing fast as well sometimes, but also learning fast and, and moving together with these partners will, will help a lot. There's two sides to it. If you, of course, have a one-to-one -one relation, you can do that very quickly in agile teams. The bigger the group gets, the harder it gets, of course, to get all the stakeholders together, all the sheep in the herd, basically. Um, so that is something that needs to be tackled. And that's why we are also um, Coming, providing basically a bottom-up approach to not trying to invent everything and just drop a, a, a big stone basically uh, into the field, but um, build it uh, step by step. And with that, we can be agile, we can be fast, and we can still deliver. And once we have set some foundation and then created facts, basically something tangible that also customers can see and they will benefit and they will also appreciate what they see, then we do expect an additional dynamics 
in an open environment where open source becomes more important, where we can really look into everything that we have common pain points but doesn't differentiate us can be done together and can be done in these um, environments which are state of the art in the software industry today. And then the OEMs can really focus on doing their thing and doing the differentiation towards the customers, expressing basically features that are that are unique and that make them special. While also we, of course, will have a significant stake in integrating all these different systems because there will still be a level of adaption and um, will still be much faster than trying to do it really all on our own in a, in a closed chamber. Can you pinpoint a little bit for the listeners is a comparison before you got together with Amazon and now how much faster it is? Is it 50% faster? Is it you know, X days? How do you gauge that? And if you can also let us know about what the savings is when it comes to money. Usually in the past, when we um, start such a project, it's, it's going to take first of all week to specify everything and then basically find supplier, source them and uh, have someone kind of set the system up for us. It takes a couple of months to just get running, basically. And then you have the uh, force and back of adjusting uh, whatever service you want to purchase and um, whatever yeah output you want to get from that uh, from that process flows. Um, and again, from, from starting something up into getting it operational um, could take easily up to six to 12 months. Now, because we were partnering right from the start and putting these mixed teams together into one virtual room to develop, we were, be able, we were able to skip basically the requirements part and we could um, go right into see how we make things work. So we, we would have to make a prediction. I mean, we don't have a direct comparison as we didn't do the exact same thing uh, in a different way. But um, I see really like factor two at least improvement in terms of speed, how we can get something on the road. But that again is only one aspect of, of the whole thing. So um, seeing the big picture, I think it's less the point of how quick you set up an architecture, how quick you set up an infrastructure, but once you have established it, I think that is the magic part, because then you can get from collecting millions of miles and then trying to send hard disk around the world, for example, for a certain um, drive simulation and field operation testing um, to get that data together. You can go virtual, you can go into the cloud, and that will increase your, your turnaround speed in developing improving features by multiple times. And, and um, that, I think that's going to be something that we're going to see going forward being a much bigger leverage even than just the solution itself. It sounds to me like you can't really pinpoint, but it, it definitely is much faster. And in this industry, every single minute that you save, saves you know, an untold amount of money for your customers and getting things to the market faster. And that's ultimately what seems to be, that's where the make or break is going to be in the future for this industry is being able to get these new, these new features out to your, to the customers who are using the product, right? Time to market is absolutely key. And, and uh, what we're used to now, if you just grab our mobile phones and, and install a new app or see every other week, a new version of iOS or, or Android is available for a download. That's the expectation that we need to anticipate to be fulfilled also if you talk about the, the data center on wheels of the future, basically, which is going to be our vehicles. So we want to have that flexibility. The solutions need to be scalable. They need to be seamless. And they can only work in these connected environments with standardized interfaces. And um, again, these standardized interfaces, they don't happen dictated top down by one. They can only be kind of created together. 
And when you talk about these data centers on wheels, that sometimes gets people to sort of shake in their boots because they know that computers can be hacked. And with these things being computers on wheels, there's a fear. Is that fear legitimate or is that because we've all watched too many Hollywood blockbusters about the uh, the car taking over and driving wherever it wants and so on and so forth? Um, is it real? And if it's real, what's being done to m mitigate this problem? I wouldn't probably call it a fear, um, even though from, from an individual perspective, that's kind of what you could connect as an emotion to it. But it's definitely a concern. It's a significant concern for us. And, and that's where... We are putting also massive effort in order to make our products safe and make them so safe, um, ideally safer than what we know from, from, again, mobile industry or our own computers, which easily can get infected by a virus. We can't have that happening in a car. On, on a phone, I mean, it can crash. On a car, as you just said, it can turn into an uncontrollable device and, and really harm or danger to harm lives. And, and that's something we must avoid. Therefore, yes, we need to be concerned, continue to be concerned. I mean, the white or black hat hackers, they are moving and, and they're moving fast and, and they always will be a little bit ahead of, of us, basically, in terms of reacting to it. Because, But, but that's also, in a sense, a good thing. It will, just, it will make us safer um, as we go and it will make the products safer. And, and our expectation is we need to have a 99.99999% safe car at all times. You touched on your relationship with Amazon and how beneficial that has been to uh, both companies. Can you give us any indication um, what might be in the pipeline or possibly could be coming in the future when it comes to expanding on that relationship? That relationship um, is a start point to really connect to ecosystems, which is the vehicle ecosystem that was pretty isolated through the connectivity methods, 5G, et cetera, into the cloud and create completely new use cases, which you probably don't even envision today. And, and, and that can only be done together with strong partners, especially on the hyperscaler side. But it's not going to be, and that's my view without being too um, concrete, because we, we still are evolve, evolving a lot of options basically here. Um, we will also see other partners coming up and we will extend that partnership into real and ecos ecosystem collaboration model that will probably pull in other cloud providers, it will put, pull in OEMs, it will pull in other traditional tier ones, basically, to create a platform that will basically help us to uh, interchange information, handle and manage this data-driven ecosystem um, in, a, in, a, in the most efficient way. And, and there is, that's also a prediction I, I'm, I'm happy to make, there is a lot of win-wins in, in all of that. An amazing topic, very, very important to the industry, crucial to how this will develop and what we'll be driving in five or 10 years from now. And uh, it's super to have had the opportunity to talk with you, Michael. Thanks so much for joining us today for the Automotive News Europe podcast. It was a great pleasure. Thank you very much, Doug. We reached Michael Husevis at his office in Frankfurt. If you have an idea for a future podcast or would like to be a guest on the show, please reach out to me at dbolduck at autonews.com. For breaking news, please visit europe.autonews.com. You can listen to this podcast and a wide range of others from the Automotive News Group on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play, or on our website at europe.autonews.com. 
That wraps up this episode of the Automotive News Europe podcast for December 9th, 2021. I'm your host, Doug Bolduck, Managing Editor at a Thanks so much for stopping by. We hope you'll tune in again next time.